0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at org. Thank you. Be seated. Well, as you know, we work through books of the Bible, and so we've been working through the book of Romans. And uh, it's a fascinating book that God inspired a man, Apostle Paul, to write. And we have been seeing the amazing grace of justification. And we have to understand what these theological terms mean. Justification, we've said, is by the grace of God, He punished Jesus as your substitute. If you trust in Jesus, Christ received the punishment that you and I deserved for our sin. And by the grace of God, He then gives you the righteousness of Christ as a gift. And so He declares you righteous. He gives you the righteousness of God. And so it's an amazing claim. And that Paul has been saying, it's all by grace It's all by God's unmerited favor. This is not religion. It's not a performance-driven thing. You don't earn this from God. In fact, as long as you think that, you're not going to have it. You have to get to the point where you quit trying to earn it from God and realize that God is a God of grace, unmerited favor. He will pour the righteousness of Christ out into you if you will receive it by grace through Faith. And so he talks about something called justification. He declares you right with God. And then we see in this life, he's making us right with God. And ultimately, he finishes the process of he makes us completely holy at the end. And so we see this is all by grace. Paul is talking about last week that we have been set free from the penalty of sin. That we are not condemned for sin if we've received that gift by grace through faith in Christ. We're set free from the penalty of sin. Today, he's going to tell us something that's really hard to believe. He's going to say, that didn't just get you out of hell. It's not just future blessing. There's current blessing. It changes, it makes a difference in your life today. He's going to say, in your life now... You were set free from the penalty of sin, and even now, you're set free from the power of sin. Even now, you're set free from the power of sin. Now, ultimately, when Christ returns, or we die and go to be with Him, we're finally the finished with the last process. We're set free from the presence of sin. We have already been set free in Christ from the penalty of sin, we are currently already can live free from the power of sin, though we're going to see how hard that is. And ultimately, in the presence of God, we are set free from the very presence of sin. And it's all by grace. And so as you hear this message of grace, you mean it's not me earning it, you mean it's not my religious performance, you mean it's not how many good deeds I do. Some of us, and I would probably argue all of us, as we, as we have heard that message, if you thought, well, then why not sin all the more? Shame on you for saying that. No, I'm kidding. That's what Paul says. Paul anticipates that objection. He knows the human heart that when we hear grace covers sin, when sin increases, grace increases all the more. He knows our next question is then, well, why not sin all the more? He says in verse 2, may it never be. Absolutely not. His point is grace doesn't lead to more sin. Grace is not a license to go live a, a licentious, sinful lifestyle. That's not what happens when grace is given. He says when grace is given, what happens is you actually find sin diminishing because finally you have the power over sin instead of sin having the power over you. Now, Paul does not take sin lightly. If you look at the structure of our text today, verse 1 through 14, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, there's not one single moral command to not sin. In all of those verses, he's spending all of his time Right here. He's saying the key to not sinning, the key to getting victory over sin is by grace, and it's all, so much of it is up here in the heart and in the mind. What do you mean by that? Well, in verse 11, he's going to kind of summarize it by saying, in verse 11 of chapter 6, he says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. And so he's talking about the mind applying the truth of God's word. He's going to say, don't sin. In verse 12, 13, and 14, he says it. Point blank. He takes sin seriously. Says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Instead, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And so he says, stop sinning. Don't let sin reign. But How? That's not easy. We all struggle with sin. He says the key is verses 1 through 11. The key is knowing. The key is understanding. The key is believing what you have in Jesus Christ. In other words, the difference between the life that God wants you to live and the life that you are struggling to live is knowing theology. It's, it's strange. We think, well, golly, theology doesn't do me any good in my practical life. And we keep finding how practical it is. You've got to know how salvation works. You've got to know what happened when you got, on, when you got saved or you asked Jesus into your heart. If you're truly saved, you've got to understand the depths of what transactions took place. And knowing that is the key to having victory over sin in your life. Now, look what he says in verse... Listen to just a few examples. In verse 3, he says, So, should we sin all the more? May it never be, verse 3. Or do you not know? Should we sin all the more? No. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, verse 8. For we believe, verse 9. Knowing that Christ... And finally in 11. Even so, consider yourself these things in Christ. And so, the key to having... Victory, the key to living the life of holiness, the key to growing in your life in Christ, is knowing these things and applying these things. In verse 11, he says, Consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God, because you're in Christ. Now, what does that mean to consider yourselves? He's saying this. I like the way Christopher Ashe states it. He says, This is not an exercise in make-believe. It's an exercise in subjectively believing something to be true because it is objectively true. Notice again, there's no moral exhortation so far in the text. We are not told to die to sin. We're not told to do that. We're not told to crucify ourselves. He says we are simply told bring our thinking into line with God-given reality. There is a God-given reality that exists. The Bible reveals those things. And then our role of faith is to bring our thinking in line with what the Bible says is true, despite how hard it may be at times to believe. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you five. I hope you brought a pen and paper. It's extremely important to write these things down. Let me tell you why. Because we're looking at five truths to empower you to fight sin. Now, in here, you don't feel like you're really fighting sin that much because you're in church. As soon as you leave here, you're going to be fighting sin if you're human. And so you need to write these things down, and you need to pull them out, and you need to go to this, and you need to practice aligning your thoughts, aligning your beliefs, aligning your understanding with what God's Word says... And these five truths will empower you to fight sin in your life. Number one, this is the foundational truth that all of it hangs on. Number one, you are in Jesus, and Jesus is in you. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, it wasn't just, okay, I got this get out of hell card, and I'm going to walk into God's presence, and I'm going to play that card, and I'm good. No, something happened. You... Are in Christ. Verse 3 says this. He says, Or do you not know all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized? Into his death, this language is all throughout the text, into, with, in. The language is that you are in Jesus, Jesus is in you. Now, Paul may be referring to baptism. Last week, we celebrated baptism of several people, and it was beautiful. One was my daughter, a couple of friends, we baptized, it was beautiful. What do we do when we baptize? As if you hear what I say on the microphone, I say, buried with Christ, we t- submerged them under the water, raised to walk in the newness of life. So in baptism, we are symbolizing our union with Christ. Our union with Christ, he died on the cross, he was buried, and then he rose again from the dead. That's what we are symbolizing in baptism. Perhaps that's what Paul is referring to as the symbolism of baptism. Or he's just referring to actually what happens in salvation. In salvation, we are immersed. That's the word baptized. We are baptized with the Spirit of God. He comes into us. God is in us. We are in God. Jesus is in you. You are in Jesus if you are in Christ by faith. And so this changes everything. I want you to think about this in very practical, physical terms. This is going to get a little freaky. But this is where Paul goes with it. He says... You are in Jesus, and Jesus is in you. I want you to think about that next time you're tempted to sin. What he's saying is, what you do, you're making Jesus do. Where you go, Jesus is going. What you think, Jesus is thinking. What you feel, Jesus is with you. You are in Jesus. Jesus is in you. How do I know that? Look at Paul does. He does this exactly. In 1 Corinthians 6.13. Listen to what he says. He said. Food is for the stomach. And the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body. is not for immorality. But the body is for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. You see the union language. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise, up, raise us up through His power. You see the union. Raise the Lord, you know He will raise us. Listen to verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ... And make them members of a prostitute. Same words. May it never be. In Romans. Sin all the more. May it never be. You're in Christ. Here. Shall I go join my body to a prostitute? May it never be. You're in Jesus. Jesus is in you. Would you join Jesus to a prostitute? And so he makes it very clear. In your wrestling against sin, in your war against sin, in fighting temptation, you need to understand if you're truly a believer, you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you. Think about that when you're being tempted to sin. A lot of negotiation, a lot of justification in the mind happens when we're wrestling with sin, a lot of Back and forth. Oh, maybe this isn't that bad. Oh, my people are... Maybe he's just being over... Okay, well, just think about it this way. Jesus is in you. What are you going to do? Kind of cuts through it all, doesn't it? Your sin's not done in secret. Jesus is right there with you. Jesus not only sees it, but he's literally experiencing it in some way. You would not want to join Jesus to that sin. Remember that as you wrestle with sin. Jesus is in you. You're in Jesus and Jesus is in you. Number two, you're not that old sinner anymore. You're not that old sinner anymore. If you're in Christ, the second thing to remember as you're tempted is you are not that old sinner anymore. Look at verse 2 again. I'm going to read several snippets from 2, 4, 5, and 6. He says, Sin all the more may it never be. How shall we who died to sin, we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death. Verse 5. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him. That's not who you are. You're not that old sinner anymore if you're in Christ. In these verses, Paul's focus is on our union with Christ, therefore our union with His death. Paul is saying that when Jesus died on the cross, our old sinful self died on the cross with Him. The old sinful self that is rightly described as wretched, as cursed, as Death and sin, the very nature of that old sin, of of that old self, was a sin nature, the fruit from which was sinful behavior. Notice how I'm wording that because that's important to understand. Our old nature was sin nature, which produced sinful actions. That person, if you're in Christ, is dead. When Christ died on the cross, that person died on the cross by the faith union that you have. He says, but notice that that means. You, at the core of your identity, you are a completely new person. The very nature is different. You're no longer of the sin nature. You're participants of the divine nature. You are in Christ. You are a Christian. You are new. And so that person that is struggling with sin is not the sin itself. You are not a diagnosis You are not what you do. There is a difference between being and doing. This gets at the core of our identity. And this is so important to remember when we're fighting sin. If you believe the lie of the enemy or the lie of your guilty conscience that tells you that you're no good, you're worthless, you're guilty, you're condemned, then you're going to act like it. You've got to know that if you've trusted in Christ... that's not who you are anymore. You're a new creature in Christ. So next time you're tempted and you're thinking about it, I want you to say, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not who I am. That is not who I am. So I'm not going to do that because I don't want to make Jesus do that. I'm not going to do that because that's not who I am. That's number one. You are in Jesus. Jesus is in you. Number two, you're not that old sinner anymore. And number three, therefore, you can say no to sin. You can say no to sin. I know that's hard to believe. I struggle as much as any of you. There are sins that you just think, I can't say no. No, if you're in Christ, you ...can say no to sin. Look at verse 6 and 7. He says, "...knowing this, our old self was crucified with him... ...in order that our body of sin might be done away with... ...so that we would no longer be slaves to sin... ...for he who has died is freed from sin." Now notice, there is no S at the end of sin... He isn't saying that you have no sins. He didn't say you are freed from sins. You are freed from sin as a power in your life. In the old nature, which he talked about last week, in Adam we were all born. In Adam we were under the power of sin. We couldn't not sin. We couldn't say no to sin. We were under the power of sin. But in Christ... We are born again, we are born in Adam with a new nature, and we are no longer under the power and the authority and the enslavement to sin. That means simply this, you can say no to sin. No matter how hard that is to believe about certain sin you may be struggling with. When you combine those last two points that number one your identity is new in Christ, and that therefore you can say no, it is so powerful. It is so powerful. You know what this means? This means that you, if you're in Christ, you are not an alcoholic. This means if you are in Christ and you struggle with drugs, you are not an alcoholic. A drug addict. If you struggle with porn and you're in Christ, you are not a porn addict. If you struggle with telling the truth, your identity is not a liar. You are not a thief. You are not a diagnosis. You are not what you are doing. If you are in Christ, you must stop labeling yourself and thinking of yourself and applying those behaviors to your identity. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. The Bible calls you a saint. The Bible says that's who you are in Christ. You are a participant of the divine nature of God. That's your identity. And you have to start believing that. That's First in the battle against the sin, against the behavior. You are not a homosexual. You are not an adulterer. You are not a cheater. You are not a thief. You are not a rebel. You are in Christ. And that's your identity as you fight against sin. Now let me be clear about something. Addictions are very real and very complicated because we're mental, physical, emotional, spiritual beings. And when we have participated in activities for a long time that cause a very real chemical addiction, chemical dependency on something, add to that an emotional dependency, a mental dependency you will find it can feel very much like you can't say no. But God's word tells you you can say no. And you're not hopeless. And you're not that diagnosis. It will be a war. It will be a battle. But if you don't think there's hope, you won't even launch into that battle. And God's word is saying if you're in Christ... You are a new creature and you can have victory. That that will not be master over you anymore. So you're in Jesus. Jesus is in you. You're not that old sinner anymore. You can say no to sin. And and number four, you will ultimately be victorious over all sin. That's promised, it's guaranteed. You will ultimately be victorious over all sin. I get this from verses 8 through 10. Listen to what he says in 8 through 10. Because your union in Christ, listen to these beautiful truths, these beautiful realities that fill us with hope, that undergird our souls in times of trials and tribulations and death. This is where the hope comes from because God's reality says, now if we have died with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Do you see what he's saying? Our union with Christ, in these verses, he emphasizes the importance of our vital union, but where he was emphasizing our union with Christ's death, now he's emphasizing our union with his resurrection and his life. So Paul's point is after Jesus died, since Jesus rose from the grave to live eternally, never to die again. In our union with Christ, our old person died with Jesus and our new person raised with Jesus never to die again. The mortal body of flesh is a temporary tent, Paul says. It's a tent. It's a temporary dwelling that's wrapped around our soul. The true essence of who you are is in your soul. The soul is eternal with a temporary shell around it. A shell that is contaminated by sin and that is fading and crumbling and dissolving and it's painful. But that's not who you are in Christ. In Christ, you're a new creature. You're an eternal being. And that new divine being that is in Christ will never die. This is what undergirds us. As we lose loved ones because what we know is God's word tells us that is a transition to the new spiritual body. The one that Christ received the first fruits of that. He shows us what we're going to get in our resurrection that for us, we live eternally at the presence of God with the glorified body to match the glorified soul that God has given us in Christ. And so that is just a transition to eternal living to the glory of God. That's a glorious reality that God has revealed in the Scriptures that we would be clueless to otherwise. You've got to allocate this truth you've got to bring your mind and your heart into alignment with these deep truths and that's where victory comes in your life and so what this means as it relates to our battle with sin is that there should be increasing glory in our life there should be an increasing holiness in this life as the the new you trapped inside the sinful flesh as you put to death the deeds of the flesh as you say no to sin and you get victory over sin, the glory of God starts to shine forth and that is what your life then is is shown Is their overall arch of your life is one of increasing holiness, increasing glory to God which just transitions right on to the point where the old body is finally done away with and the new spiritual body of glory that God has promised is yours and so now there is glory inside and out eternally never to die again no wonder there's no more crying and no more tears and no more pain there's no more death it's a beautiful beautiful reality But this has two sides for us in our battle against sin first of all this challenges us to look at your life look at your life right now think about the pattern of your life Is it described as increasing in glory to God? That's the pattern our lives should be displaying. Increasing holiness, not perfection, not every time we're going to get it right, but if you look over the pattern of your life, there should be growing in godliness. Do you see that when you look at your life? That's God's desire, is that you grow in godliness. It is good for you, and it displays His goodness and glory. But this also not only challenges us, but it also encourages us. It encourages you because it says, No matter how many times you fail, God will not give up on you. God promises that what He started in your life, if you are in Christ, He will bring it to completion. That's another reason why you should see increasing holiness in your life because God says, I promise, I'm going to do that in your life. And so don't give up. No matter how many times you fail, keep fighting with steadfast confidence that God is going to ultimately perfect you both inside and out because you are united with Christ Jesus. So you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you. You're not that old sinner anymore. You can say no to sin and you will ultimately be victorious over all sin. Our fifth and final truth to remember as we fight sin is you live in the realm of grace. You fight in the realm of grace. You wage war with sin in the context in relation to God in the context of grace. Look at verse 14. He says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. The final truth to keep in mind as you wage war against sin and you present yourself as an offering of righteousness to God is to remember you are operating, you are living, you are fighting sin in the realm of God's unmerited favor. Not in the realm of you earning or deserving, but in the realm of by God's grace, hidden in Christ, He loves you unconditionally. He loves you every time I fail. He loves me while I'm failing. He loves you even as you're failing and sinning against Him. God loves you. Why? Because nothing other than the fact that you're hidden in Christ Jesus. And that is rocket fuel for fighting against sin. Oh, Grace doesn't lead to license to sin. Getting that concept Getting grace is the fuel that motivates warriors against sin. That's why we hate sin. It's because we know that's not who I am. That's what put Christ on the cross. That's despite my sin, He still loves us. And it's amazing grace. And that's why it's a life that is spent waging war, but waging war with joy, with peace, with rest, because we're bathing in the grace and unconditional love of God. Too many times when we see someone sin in the church or when we find ourselves having sinned, Too many times we want to slap the law, we want to condemn, we want to judge, we want to be angry, we want to withhold love. We want to say, treat as if we operate under the law. That's what I love about this church is that's not what happens here. This church understands we are all Sinners, except by grace, we have been made participants of the divine nature, and it is a gift of unmerited favor. And together, we are joining hands and we're waging war against sin because we love God and God loves us. And so, we don't condemn each other, we haven't built ourselves up in self righteousness, looking down and and beating sinners over the head for what they did instead we call them to be who they are in christ we share our burdens with each other we pray for each other we hold each other accountable we encourage each other to live the life that god has set before us so when you fail in your fight against sin how do you respond Do you act as if you're operating, relating to God under the law and legalism, or do you understand, apply, consider yourself in the realm of unmerited favor because you're hidden in Christ? So what do you do when you fail? Do you say, oh, I'm in grace, it's good. Oh, no, then you better wonder if you're in grace because that's not what the Spirit of God says in a person's heart. So what do you do when you sin and you fail? You confess that sin at the foot of the cross. And you see that that's what Jesus died for. Was to take the penalty of that sin. And you hate that sin, aligning yourself with God about that sin. And you hate that sin as much as God hates that sin. Because it destroys you, it destroys others, it defames His name. And so you hate it, and you wage war against it. And you quit believing the lie that you can't say no to that sin, because you can't. And you take practical measures... If you have to disconnect the computer, disconnect it. If you have to put up a password, put up a password. If you have to avoid certain situations, then avoid those situations. If people lead you down there, it's not their fault. But if you are finding yourself going there, then stop going there. Take practical measures and pray And share with people in the church that you know and trust will love you and care for you and shepherd and hold you accountable and encourage you and check on you and and train you and teach you and walk with you and cry with you and be there for you and say, help me wage war with this. To do it all knowing God loves you unconditionally. In Jesus Christ. And you do it all remembering. You are in Jesus. Jesus is in you. You are not that old sinner anymore. You can say no to sin. You will be victorious over sin. And you live in the realm of grace. Let's pray together. Father God, oh what we have in Christ. Lord, you want us to be transformed by the truths that you have revealed in scriptures of all that we have in Christ. Lord, don't let us be a people who just pray to prayer one time and I guess that meant I'm forgiven and so one day I'll be good in heaven. May we understand the depths of the transaction that takes place when we, by faith, received salvation in Jesus Christ, when we trusted not in ourselves, not in our religion, not in our works, but we trusted that you took on flesh as the God-man, you lived the perfect life, you died on the cross as the penalty for sin, and you were buried, and you rose again from the grave, getting victory and showing that you are truly God over death and you reign and rule at the right hand of the Father waiting to return. Lord, may we believe that when we trust only in the blood of Christ for our salvation, that all of these things are true. Lord, if there's anyone here today, and I know there are many, who have never truly embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God justifies sinners by grace through Jesus Christ, that sinners can't justify themselves. I pray right now people all over the room will find faith in their mind and heart to ask you to give you union with Christ so they may be declared righteous, Freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom from the power of sin now, and ultimately freedom from the presence of sin eternally. Right now, if that's you, just in your heart, just say, Yes, Lord, I want to embrace Christ. And along with believers, may we all embrace the truths of the Scripture. May we align our thinking and our heart with the truths that are revealed. These are God's truths revealed to us so that we can bring our lives in conformity with them. That means we believe these truths that Jesus is in us and we are in Jesus. That the old sinner is dead. We don't have to live that way. We are not that person anymore that we can say no to sin and that you ultimately will finish the process in our lives so we always have hope and that we operate in the realm of grace that you love us unconditionally as we are waging war against the things that are destructive and defaming. Lord, make us a holy people. Make us and increasingly glorious people so that friends and neighbors and co-workers will see growing glory, find you more and more beautiful and more and more attractive by what they see in our lives. Lord, use us to bring great honor and glory to your name through Christ in whom you've hidden us. It's in his name I pray.